So I'm going to ask for some audience participation right now. So we started this Christmas Carol series last week, and in the lobby last Sunday, and through texts and emails this week, I've had a lot of people tell me whether they love or don't love Christmas music. And it seems like Collective is pretty split as a church. And so uh, here's what I'd like to do. By a show of applause, how many of you love Christmas music? Oh, that's a lot of people. Man. Okay. Okay. How many of you just like hate, despise Christmas music? There you go. It's okay. Be proud. You, you don't have to be ashamed of that. There's a few of us. That's me. Uh, and how many of you are just kind of like indifferent? You're not sure. You like it around now, but a few. Okay. So as you can tell, Christmas music is like incredibly polarizing, right? You either love it or you hate it. There are very few people that are kind of in between. And I've made this incredibly clear over the last few weeks, but I do not like Christmas music. Uh, you know this. I think I've said this maybe 100, 200 times at this point. But a few weeks ago, one of our team members actually asked me why I hated Christmas music. She put me on the spot. And to be honest, I couldn't answer the question. And so it got me thinking, do I really hate Christmas music? I do. I really, really do. <clears throat> and although there isn't one reason why, there are multiple reasons why, starting when I was a kid... When I was a kid, my family started this tradition where we'd pile in the car and we'd go cut down a Christmas tree. And the first year we did it, someone in my family, most likely my mom, su suggested that we listen to Christmas music. And so she starts digging through her glove box and finds a cassette. Yeah, some of you know that. That's good. Finds a cassette and pops it in, and it's Alvin and the Chipmunks Christmas Carols. <laughs> And so because this was like a new thing, we played it, and it was like kind of cute and fun. But the reality is if, if you've heard anything by Alvin and the Chipmunks, it is terrible. And so we drove out there, we cut down our tree, we listened to it on the way back. And the next year came, and my family was like, hey, that's a good tradition. Let's listen to it again. And so every year of my life from my childhood, as we cut down trees, for some reason, this cassette of Alvin and the Chipmunks Christmas carols became a tradition. It's terrible. I was going to play a sample for you right now. I don't want you to do that. I don't want to put you through that. If you have Spotify or just Google it, if you haven't heard it before, you'll listen to about 30 seconds and then you'll give up. But it's this like soul-crushing, high-pitched chipmunk voice singing Christmas carols. And I think that's where kind of my hatred of Christmas carols began. It got worse when I was in middle school. In eighth grade, we had to choose between chorus, band, or guitar classes. And so I decided that I was going to take chorus. Not because I can sing, because I can't. Trust me, it's terrible. One of the reasons why we put the music at the level we do at Collective is so people can sing and you don't have to hear them. That's for me. You do not want to hear me sing. But so I joined this class because I thought, hey, do you know who else likes chorus? Girls. So I'm going to join chorus so I can be in chorus with girls. Don't judge me. There's a lot of guys in this classroom that took chorus at some point, and that's the reason why. But joke's on us. There were so many boys that had the same idea. They actually made an all-boys chorus <laughs> at our middle school. And because this was only one semester long, everything we did was to prepare for a Christmas concert in December. And so for three months, we sang Christmas carols over and over and over again. And to be honest, we were terrible. It wasn't good. So it wasn't like at least it was beautiful. It was this terrible sound of these young boys going through puberty trying to sing Christmas songs. I remember singing the song Gloria in Excelsis Deo every day for months. And the day of the concert came, and we couldn't remember how many times you actually sing the Gloria part. And so half the group stopped at two, the other half continued to go through four times, and eventually it was this chaotic noise of Christmas music before we just stopped. The crowd was confused and kind of gave us this like pity clap as we walked off stage. So part of me doesn't like Christmas music because of past experience. 
But there's a part of me that doesn't like Christmas songs because some of them are just plain terrible. In 2016, Esquire put out a list of the 20th crappiest Christmas songs ever. Uh, and I'm, just, I'm not going to read all 22, but here's just a few of them that were on there. Number 19 was John Denver's, Please Daddy, Don't Get Drunk This Christmas. <laughs> Number 16 was Duck Dynasty. Yes, they put out a song. Duck Dynasty's Santa Looks a Lot Like Daddy. Number 14 was a song called Christmas Shoes by New Song. If you've ever heard Christmas Shoes before, I think that is the worst Christmas song that's ever been written. It is terrible. Number 13 was Joel Gray's I'm going to put some glue around the Christmas tree so Santa Claus will stick around all year. Number 10 was Bruce Springsteen's Santa Claus is Coming to Town. That kills my dad a little bit. He's sitting in the back right now. That's like a staple in our household, our house when we were kids. Number five, Justin Bieber's Mistletoe, which as soon as it said Justin Bieber, it made sense. And number one, which was kind of shocking, uh, was Paul McCartney and Wings' Wonderful Christmas Time. Now, I've never heard that song before. I've heard the other ones on the list, and I know how bad they are, so I can imagine this is easily a terrible song. But I'm going to be honest with you all. Over the last few weeks, as I've been working on this series, my Grinch heart has grown a couple sizes when it comes to Christmas music. I've been reading a book called Stories of the Best Loved Songs of Christmas by Ace Collins, and I can't stop reading it because the stories are incredible. And they're providing meaning to songs that I've sang since I was a kid. In fact, as I read these stories about other Christmas carols, I'm starting to think about next year and whether or not we should do more Christmas music, which just really hurts me a little bit on the inside. But as I read this book and, I, and I'm learning these stories and I'm hearing the history behind the songs that we sing, I'm realizing that not all Christmas music is terrible. Last week, we talked about Hark the Herald Angels Sing, and essentially that song is the story of Jesus' life in three minutes. It's this beautiful representation of his birth, his life, and his resurrection. And today, uh, we're going to be talking about quite possibly the most popular Christmas song of all time, Silent Night. Silent Night is actually the most recorded song of all time. And that, that actually, they found that out in the 60s. It was the most popular and most recorded song of all time. So you can imagine how many more times it's been recorded now. Which is kind of incredible if you think about it as a song, that a Christmas carol is a song that's been copied and recorded over and over and over again. And though, even though Silent Night has been recorded more than any other song in history, the fact that we know this song at all is a miracle. Here's the story of Silent Night. In 1818, Pastor Joseph Moore was making last-minute preparations for a special Christmas Eve Mass, a service that he'd been planning for months. Everything from the music to the message was in place. But as he cleaned and readied the sanctuary, the priest encountered an unfathomable dilemma. The organ at St. Nicholas's Church wouldn't play. A frantic Moore struggled with the old instrument for hours, making adjustments, fiddling with keys, stops and pedals, even crawling behind the console to see if he could find a problem. In spite of his efforts, the organ remained silent. Realizing he could do nothing else, the priest paused and prayed for inspiration. He asked God to show him a way to bring music to his congregation on the year's most meaningful day of worship. And Moore would find the answer to his prayer, born from events initiated almost two years before the St. Nicholas's organ didn't play. In 1816, two years before, while assigned to a different church, Moore had written a Christmas poem. The six unadorned stanzas were inspired on a winter's walk from his grandfather's home to the church. 
Though he had shared the words with a few friends, the priest never sought to have the work published and, uh, or attempted to come up with a melody to go with his words. When Moore was transferred to the new church, he actually brought this poem with him. And up until that moment, the verses hadn't seemed very important to the priest. But as he read them again on that night in 1818, it was as if God was tossing him a lifeline of hope. Buoyed by new and unfolding expectations, he shoved the worn paper into his coat pocket and rushed out into the night. Only hours before the Christmas Eve midnight mass, the priest fought his way through the snow-covered streets to a guy named Franz Gruber's house. Moore approached Gruber, who was a music teacher, and explained that the organ didn't work anymore. And he convinced Gruber to take this poem and to write a melody that the choir could learn quickly and sing that night. He also convinced uh, Gruber to write a melody that could go along with the guitar because the organ wouldn't play. So there, in a candlelit sanctuary, Gruber shared his new music with Moore. The priest approved, and after learning the guitar chords, rushed it to the choir members who were waiting for their scheduled rehearsal. In the little time they had, Moore and Gruber taught the choir members the four-part harmonies to the last two lines of each verse, which if you know anything about music, that is not easy to learn in one evening. And just after midnight, Moore and Gruber stood in front of the main altar and introduced their simple little song, Silent Night. And as they sang, they couldn't have guessed that Silent Night would be remembered not only the next year in that small village, but almost 200 years later around the world. If you fast forward 14 years, in 1832, the Stasser family folk singers appeared in a small community near St. Nicholas's Church around Christmas. While they were there, they heard this church sing Silent Night. A few years later, the Stassers performed the carol in front of a large crowd that had gathered for a fair. Moved by the song's deep spiritual message, King William IV of Prussia actually requested his nation's cathedral choir to sing Silent Night at its annual Christmas celebration. Due in part to the king's favor, Silent Night stormed across much of Eastern Europe and pressed west towards Great Britain. In 1839, another Austrian family group, the Rainers, traveled to New York. As part of one of their performances, they sang the song Silent Night in English for a huge crowd at Trinity Church. It was such a popular number that other local groups began to sing it in their own churches. And by the Civil War, Silent Night had become America's most popular Christmas carol. By the late 1800s, Silent Night had been translated into more than 20 languages and was a vital part of Christmas celebrations around the world. In 1805, the Hayden Quartet cut the first recording of Silent Night. The first trip of the popular hit parade was just beginning. Literally thousands of others from around the world would record this simple carol for years to come. And by 1960, it was the most recognized and most recorded song in music history. It's amazing to think that the most recorded song of all time was a backup plan. I think the reason why people love this song so much is because it's simplicity, right? We did Hark to Herald Angels sing last night, or last week, it's a little bit more complicated, but Silent Night is this simple and beautiful song about the night that Jesus was born. And I think one of the reasons why we love it isn't because, just because it's simple, but because the song paints this beautiful picture of a calm and peaceful night. And so last week when we talked about Hark the Herald Angels Sing, we actually broke down verse by verse and talked about the narrative of Jesus. But Silent Night is different. It isn't as much of a narrative as it is a glimpse into what Jesus brought into the world the night he was born. Let's read the verses again, starting in verse 1. 
Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. Round yon virgin, mother and child, holy infant, so tender and mild. Sleep in heavenly peace, sleep in heavenly peace. Verse 2 says this, silent night, holy night, shepherds quake at the sight. Glory stream from heaven afar, heavenly hosts sing hallelujah. Christ the Savior is born, Christ the Savior is born. Verse 3, silent night, holy night, son of God loves pure light. Radiant beams from thy holy face with dawn of redeeming grace. Jesus, Lord, at thy birth. Jesus, Lord, at thy birth. This is a beautiful song. I think even for those of us who don't love Christmas music, we can agree that there's something very beautiful and special about Silent Night. But the tricky part about a lot of Christmas carols is that they're not Scripture, right? These are lyrics written by somebody else. So this isn't Scripture straight from the Bible, And what I mean is that they're based on a true story, but not everything in that song is completely accurate. We can confirm that Jesus was born. We we read last week in Luke 2 that shepherds did quake at first sight. We learned that heavenly hosts did sing out, that the Savior was born. So we know that to be true, but more wasn't there. And because of that, there's some artistic liberties that he actually took with this song, mainly the fact that everything was calm and peaceful that night. Because if we're being really honest, there's absolutely no way. And we know this when we read the story of Jesus' birth in Luke 2. This is what Luke wrote in Luke 2, verse 1 through 7, about Jesus' birth. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while (laughs) Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. This is how we know that the night wasn't calm or silent or even peaceful. Just think about what Joseph and Mary had to go through to get to Bethlehem. First, they had to go from Nazareth to Bethlehem, which is about a 90-mile trip, which would easily be multiple days. Uh, They said that most people during that time could walk about 20 miles a day, so you're talking four and a half, but she's nine months pregnant. So most likely, this took nine, 10, 11, 12 days for them to get there. We know geographically that this trip was very much up and downhill the entire way. And the trip was through the Judean desert, which would have put them and would have taken place during the winter when it's in the 30s during the day and almost rains all night. The unpaved hilly trails and harsh weather were not the only hazards that Joseph and Mary would have faced on their journey. One of the most terrifying dangers in ancient Palestine was the heavily forested valley around the Jordan River where they were walking. Lions and bears lived in the woods, and travelers had to fend off wild boars. Archaeologists have actually unearthed documents warning travelers about the dangers of the same route that, Jesus, uh, that uh, Joseph and Mary took when they were going to Bethlehem. 
To make matters worse, there are bandits and pirates and robbers, which were common hazards along the way. This isn't calm or peaceful. And then they finally get there, and there isn't any room for them. Now remember, they're not strangers in that town. That's actually where Joseph is from. So the reality is he has family there, and they don't even have space for him. So eventually they end up in what, what we think is a stable, and Mary gives birth, which anyone who has ever had a kid or been around someone who has, calm and peace are not words that are often used to describe the birth of a child. In fact, it's often the quite opposite. And so we hear this song about this silent night and this calm night. But the reality is we know it wasn't that way. That their journey and what they were going through wasn't peaceful. So why did Moore write a song called Silent Night? And here's why. Because the song is less about literal peace of that night. It's less about that night and what they experienced. And it's more about the peace that Jesus brought in his birth. It's because even though there was nothing peaceful about the journey to Bethlehem or the birth of Jesus, there's still this sense of calm, a sense of hope, and a sense of peace because the Savior's been born. This is what they've been longing for. This is what they've been waiting for. For hundreds of years, prophecies had pointed to this moment. And even though to get there, and even though in that moment it might have been chaotic, and it might have been loud, and it might not have been peaceful, the reality is Jesus' birth brought peace. And Jesus' love, or Jesus is, love's pure light. And the reason why we know there's peace and calm is because Jesus' birth was the dawn of redeeming grace. Because Jesus was Lord, even at his birth. And the reason why we know there's peace is because Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Isaiah 9, 6 says this, for, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is a prophecy about the birth of Jesus that happened hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born. And Isaiah is saying eventually the Savior will come and he will bring peace. And that's why Moore can write Silent Night. That's why he can write about calm and peace. Because even though maybe in that moment it didn't feel very peaceful, that's what Jesus brought to the world when he was born. And so peace was there. And peace entered the world that night in the form of a child and changed the world forever. Jesus goes on to say in Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30, he says this to his followers, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. There's a paraphrase of this in, in a version uh, called The Message, and, and this is what it says. Uh, this is what the paraphrase of those verses says. It says, Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you will recover your life. 
I'll show you how to take real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Do you want to live freely and lightly? Do you want to have real rest? And Jesus says that he is gentle and humble in heart, and through him we can find rest for our souls. When Jesus says the word rest, he actually uses the Greek word anaposis, which literally means to be in a pause, to be like surrounded by pause, to be surrounded by rest, essentially immersed in rest to the point of tranquility. And Jesus wants us to have peace. This is something that Jesus offers us, and we were offered the day that he was born. John 14, 27, Jesus says this, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. I love the line, I do not give you as the world gives. Jesus didn't come to offer us anything the world has already offered. Jesus didn't come to give us anything the world can give us. He came to give us something so much better. He came to bring us peace. And the reason why we know Jesus can bring peace in the world is because he says this in John 16, 33. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus' hope for us is that in him we find peace. Peace that allows us to live freely and lightly. Peace that breaks our fears. Peace that is better than anything the world can offer. And Jesus makes it clear the world's going to give us trouble. And we know that. We feel that. A lot of us are in that right now. That's what Joseph and Mary experienced. It wasn't an easy trip. It wasn't vacation. It wasn't fun. But even in that moment, they had peace. Jesus wants us to have peace beyond what this world can offer. And we can believe it's true because he's overcome the world. Jesus can bring peace to your relationships that seem too damaged to be healed. Jesus can bring peace to your finances and the burden of crushing debt. Jesus can bring peace to your family dysfunction through reconciliation. Jesus can bring peace to the doubts that hold you back. Jesus can bring peace to the fears that cripple you with inaction. Jesus can bring peace in your pain. Jesus can bring you peace in your life if you let him. Because Jesus' birth was the birth of real peace, of real rest. I believe that the reason why we don't see more peace in this world is because we're too busy focusing on ourselves instead of our Savior. The reason why we know that our focus is off is because there's no peace. If Jesus came to bring peace, and he's the Prince of Peace, and it's something that you experience through him, our focus is off. 
This is why this song, and to be honest, this season are so important. It's not just a reminder of the birth of Jesus. It's a reminder of what Jesus brought into the world when he was born. Jesus didn't come just as a child with nothing to offer. Even as a child in the manger that day, there was peace. I gotta be honest, I'm naive enough to believe that Jesus was the center of every person's life. Peace would be the result. Rest would be the result. That doesn't mean there won't be trouble. We, we read that. Jesus said that. Jesus makes it really clear that following him doesn't make things easy, but that following him through those troubles and through those hard times, that there can be peace, and there can be hope, and there can be rest. On December 24th and 25th of 1914, a few months into World War I, as the battle was just getting started, thousands of British Belgian and French soldiers put down their rifles and stepped out of their trenches. And they spent Christmas mingling with their German enemies along the Western Front. In the hundred years since, the event has been seen kind of as a miracle, a rare moment of peace just a few months into a war that would eventually claim over 15 million lives. Most accounts suggest that the truce began with carol singing from the trenches on Christmas Eve. Graham Williams of the 5th London Rifle Brigade described it in even greater detail. He said this, First the Germans would sing one of their carols, and then we would sing one of ours. Until when we started up, O come all ye faithful, and the Germans immediately joined in singing the same hymn in Latin. Graham Williams continued to say, And I thought, well, this is really a most extraordinary thing. Two nations both singing the same carol in the middle of a war. The next morning, Christmas morning, in some places, German soldiers emerged from their trenches calling out Merry Christmas in English. Allied soldiers came out warily to greet them. In others, Germans held up signs saying, you know shoot, we know shoot. Over the course of the day, troops exchanged gifts of cigarettes, food, buttons, and hats. The Christmas truce also allowed both sides to finally bury their dead comrades who'd, who'd, whose bodies had lain for weeks in the middle of no man's land, the space in between the two trenches. One veteran from the 5th Battalion, the Black Watch, Alfred Anderson, said this, I remember the silence, the eerie sound of silence. It was a short peace in a terrible war. Still a century later, the truth, has been, the truth has been remembered as a testament to the power of hope and humanity in a truly dark hour of history. There isn't anything in the world capable of bringing peace in the middle of a war except Jesus. And there isn't anything in your life right now capable of bringing you peace except for Jesus. It isn't your relationships it isn't your boyfriend or your girlfriend. It isn't more money or a fancier car. It isn't a bigger house, a better status, a better job, a new relationship. It's not another drink or another pill. The only thing that can bring you real peace is Jesus. The only thing that can bring you a silent night in the middle of the chaos of this season, in the middle of the chaos that you feel in your life or in the middle of the chaos that you feel this day is the birth of the Prince of Peace, 
And that's why we sing this song. That's why we sing Silent Night. That's why we love this song, because it reminds us and it makes us think that even though right now it doesn't feel great, and even though right now there's something deep down inside that is bringing us pain and brokenness, that there can be peace through Jesus. And so this song isn't just a reminder of Jesus as a baby. It's a reminder of peace brought into the world in the form of that baby. And we sing it because we need it. And we need that reminder. Let's pray. God, thank you for peace. Or at least the idea of peace. Because God, I don't know how many of us feel like we have that. Or that we're experiencing that right now. God, thank you for songs that are written to remind us that even in a rough night, even in a rough journey, a rough few days, a rough season, whatever it may be, God, that there can be calm, that there can be peace, as long as you're at the center of it. God, we recognize that, that life has trouble and it's not going to go away. God, a lot of us feel that right now. This season seems to bring out that more than any other time of year. So God, I just pray that we have peace, that we rely on you and realize that even in the storms, you can bring peace. And even in the chaos, you can bring peace. And even in the pain, you can bring peace. God, thank you that we get an opportunity to be reminded of that yearly. God, I pray that we're reminded of it beyond this season. We love you and pray these things in your name. Amen.